0: Hey, I, uh, I want to start today by giving you some news, uh, very positive news for us as a church family. I want to introduce you to somebody on the screen today and then live next week. So I want to introduce you to Rob and Amy Carpenter. Uh, Rob is somebody that Josh and I have known for the last several years, and uh, we have spent a lot of time together and gotten to know their family. Rob has uh, been a part of some of our youth gatherings, uh, helping to lead worship for that. Uh, actually, Rob is uh, bivocational, really. I mean, he's kind of a tent maker. He uh, has a full-time job, a full-time career, uh, doing uh, uh, roofing estimates for a company. But in 2012, he felt like God was leading him into ministry. And we began to evaluate where we are as a church as well. And one of the things that we see as uh, need in churches is that age group, what we call the lost generation between age 18 and 25. It seems like churches do a great job with children. They do a great job with uh, students. And then once you become families, but there is that generation uh, in there of 18 to 25 young adult year olds. And uh, and many, many times, 75 to 85 percent, they say, uh, lose their faith or walk away from their faith during those years. That's not good enough for us. And so our management team has uh, enabled us to extend an offer to Rob to come on our team part time. Uh, he'll continue in his career uh, as uh, as a roofer estimator. Estimator, but uh, they will be part of our church family. And I told you in October we're going to be starting uh, in next September. We're we'll going to be starting a, a new venue, a Sunday night young adult worship experience here at Axis. It'll be in the other room. Uh, we are already developing a core group for young adults for that. And, uh, and so this uh, next few months, Rob's going to be getting to know students in that age basic age category. He'll be partnering with Josh in his, in his community, uh, his, his life group that he leads. And uh, so they'll get to know that age group. And then uh, next year, we'll be offering that worship uh, venue for people. Uh, we think this is a tremendous need, and we are so thankful to be able to offer and extend this offer to him today. Rob is at a church plant in uh, Dayton. He's part of their team and today they are ordaining him, uh, or and uh, and setting him apart, and they are sending him. So Josh is up there representing our church, and uh, and kind of celebrating with Rob what's happening. And next week Rob and Amy will be with us uh, on our team here at Axis. So that is really really going to be cool. You guys are going to enjoy getting to know him. <laughs> Rob is uh, he, he he tracks with us and loves the Axis family tracks with us regarding uh, uh, our discipleship focus, and we have really spent a lot of time talking about that over the last few years. Uh, he is uh, uh, you're, There's going to be a, a group of people here that's just really going to connect with Rob and Amy, and, uh, and we are just really uh, looking, forward, looking forward to that. Hey, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for uh, opportunities like this. Thank you for just the chance to be able to come and worship. Thank you for testimonies like what Sherry offered and extended to us. Thank you, God, for how you're working in her life in a powerful way. Thank you how you work through your people to support and encourage and how that has been a blessing to Sherry. And God, thank you that she's a blessing to us, that she encourages us through how she navigates through this challenging time with uh, an ever positive, hopeful uh, attitude and spirit. So God, help us to continue to model our lives after you. And we just thank you in Jesus name amen well our kids are with us today so when I ask a question it'll apply to everybody it's an all play all right um, so I'm about five ten um, a little shy of two hundo I don't really want to go over that you know and uh and uh you know I can kind of hold my own but I'm just interested just curious today like how many of you guys think you could take me just all right just raise your hand if you think you could beat me up just raise your hand real high, all right? Who, who we got? Oh, we got a few over here, all right. We got a few. All right, let's see. Chris, yeah, you got a bad shoulder, but I think you might be able to take me, right? I, you might. Jonathan, I don't know. We might be. It might be. Might be kind of a battle, you know? Battle. Okay, you got me. You got me. Sanchez, you're a Navy SEAL. You could probably kill me with a spoon. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't know. I'm just thinking. Jonathan, Sam's. I. I I'm faster than you, you know, now, but, like, I'd probably be intimidated back at old. I'd have to play old tapes from when we grew up, right? You think you can take me, Jeff? No? (laughs) Okay, okay. Yeah, watch out. No, this is is not Geraldo, man. And um, I know you could definitely, like, lift me. Julie, you could take me? You think you could take me? (laughs) All right. That's cool. That's cool. I'll let TJ handle that. You know, that's fine. Anybody over here? No, you guys good? You all good? Aaron? Aaron? All right, well, hey, here's the deal. I, I don't know. Maybe it might be a good battle. I, I, I might be uh, able to take a few of you guys. You might be surprised. I, I could be wiry. But um, you know what? That didn't offend me. Julie, that offends me, actually, now that I think about it. That offends. The rest of you guys, you don't offend me. That's fine. But you're offending me a little bit. That doesn't bother me. But hey, I'll tell you what does bother me today. What bothers me is when people underestimate the power of Jesus. That bothers me. You know, when we come into church, it seems like, I mean, Jesus, the vision that we often have of Jesus is this kind of manby pamby breck hair, pantene hair, Jesus. You've seen those pictures, right? Where he's weak, he's he's not able to, I mean, he's just a good teacher. He's always got flowing locks. He's wearing some sandals. And people look at him like, he's no big deal. But, man, you cannot underestimate the power of of Jesus. People were impressed by his teaching, and they were impressed by his power. And what I want to do today is tell you two stories to kind of reinforce the power of Jesus. And I want to give you two principles, one each out of each of these stories. It's going to be very simple today, okay? I'm going to walk you right through the scriptures. They're found in Luke chapter 8. You know, we're in this series uh, in Luke, and in this month we're talking about undeniable power of Jesus. Luke chapter 8, verse 22. I'm just going to walk you through it, so go ahead and turn there and follow along in the screen. Verse 22, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And so they got into a boat and set out. They set out. Man, how many of you have set out with God? One day you decided he called you just like he called the disciples, and you said, I'm in. You said, I'm committing my life to you. I'm ready to follow you. And You didn't know where the journey would take you, but you knew you needed a new direction. You knew that he was the Savior, he was the Lord, and you wanted to submit your life to him. So you said, yes, you made a commitment to him. And Jesus called these guys, and the disciples followed. Well, be better, we don't often use the word disciples in America other than the church context. So these guys were apprentices, right? They were, they were like these, these close followers of Jesus they were learners and I wonder what it'd be like to be one of those guys traveling along with Jesus one moment after another one miracle after another one miraculous teaching after another and I mean I would just go along all the time like what's next guys what's next this is awesome he just healed the paralytic and now he's healed the blind man what is next I've never experienced anything like this well I'll tell you what they didn't expect A storm. Verse 23, as they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. Friends, how many of you know when you set out with God, a storm is coming? Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, in this world you will have trouble. A storm was not on their radar. They probably expected another miracle. But suddenly a storm comes up over on the sea, and these guys were used to storms. Several of them were fishermen. They were used to the Sea of Galilee. But here they are, surrounded by this storm. Waves on the Sea of Galilee could be as high as 20 feet at times. And so they're afraid. This is no ordinary storm. But this is no ordinary man. This is no ordinary power. And here's what I learned through just this. Listen, even when you are doing what God wants you to do, storms happen. Sometimes, storms are directly in the will and the desire of God. And so they go to the other side of the lake, just as Jesus asked. They set out with him, and verse 24 says, then the disciples uh, went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. You know, when you're afraid, you're anxious, when, when you're going through a storm in life, we often think the worst, don't we? We often think, And instead of just thinking, this is a storm and I've got Jesus on board, they immediately think, I'm going to drown. And rather than thinking about the promises of God who said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, rather than Jesus who takes care of of even the lilies of the field and and takes care of the birds of the air and how much more cares for us, we tend to think the worst. It's our human nature. It's our human nature that thinks the worst. Several years ago, Randy Reed, a 34-year-old welder, was working near the top of a newly constructed uh, water tower outside Chicago when he slipped and he fell 110 feet. Barely missing uh, rocks and debris, Reed laid there in a six-foot pile of uh, soft sand near the base of the tower. Co-workers called 911, and within minutes, the rescue crew was on the scene, and miraculously, this guy survived. He just had a bruised lung, and that was the only injury that he had. Ironically, when they were carrying him to the ambulance on a stretcher about three feet above the ground, he looked into the faces of the paramedics and nervously pleaded, please don't drop me, please don't drop me, please don't drop me. The guy falls off an 11-story building, and he works out to be okay. Man, It just seems like when we're in life, even though we have the security, the safety of the stretcher net with Christ, somehow we think the worst. Don't drop me, God. Don't drop me. We often find ourselves questioning God's ability to even carry us and the health of our marriage and our children's safety and the loneliness of involuntary singleness and politics in the country and and in the church, our aging parents, skyrocketing college tuition, job security, investments gone south, rejection, depression. It's easy to feel overwhelmed. And people then wonder the worst. God, don't drop me until you realize but the one that carries the stretcher, the one that's on the boat, is a lot more powerful than the storm. He gets up. He rebukes the wind and the rains and the raging waters. It says, the storm subsided and all was calm. He looks at his disciples. Where is your faith? In fear and amazement, they ask one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water that obey him. Wow. Listen, guys, I love this story because it speaks to me about stormy seas, which we all face. We all will face times of hardship and loneliness and discouragement. But here's principle number one Jesus is with you in the storm. It's very simple. He cares, He walks with you. Do you believe that today? A guy that I went to seminary with named Jeff Vines leads a large church in California. He also spent time in India and New Zealand as a missionary. And he said in India, when they are persecuted for sharing the gospel, they will say, Oh God, thank you for allowing me to carry this weight. Thank you for trusting me and using me. In America, he said, what we say is, why, oh God, would you cause this to happen to me? Why don't you care about me? What a perspective. Why don't we react like they do? We're really, we learn that sometimes the best times in life are where we grow through the storms of life. In calm waters, I tend to think that I'm in charge of the ship. In calm waters, I tend to think that I'm navigating the boat. I can sit back and relax. But during storms, I find myself... Trusting more, praying more. The storm is raging around enough, and my prayer goes from, Lord, I can take this, I've got this, to Lord, I can't handle this on my own. I need you in my life. It is through the storms of life that we find that we can trust and we do trust the captain of the ship. So if you're facing a storm today, I just want to challenge you guys. If your relationship with Jesus has gone to sleep, Now's a good time to wake it up. Jesus didn't rebuke his friends for waking him up. Some of you need to call on him today. Say, God, I'm going through a storm in my life, and I need your help and support. God, I know I can't take this on my own. And uh, it's not that Christians don't experience storms. We do, but the difference is we have someone to cry out to. Somebody that leads, somebody that guides, somebody that carries. as Someone that said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So that's principle number one. Jesus is with you in the storms. Oh, and by the way, so often when you go to unexpected places with Jesus, when you go through those times of struggle, it often takes you to unexpected blessings. And that's the next story. Because the very next event is the healing of the uh, Gerasene demoniac. This is the man from whom Jesus cast out a legion of demons. And this is one of the greatest miracles in all the Bible. And and if the storm hadn't blown the disciples off course, they would have never experienced this miracle of Jesus. God will take storms of your life and use them to make an even greater impact, an even greater miracle if you're open to it. So let's look at this story, Luke chapter 8, verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. And when Jesus stepped ashore... He was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. Man, that is quite a scene, isn't it? I could just imagine getting out of the boat. The storm had just been calmed. Jesus had this incredible miracle. And now you're on the other side, and now you're in the place of tombs. You land right by the gravesite, you know? You're right in a cemetery. And suddenly, out from the tombs, runs this naked dude with chains on him. And he's screaming. And you're like, I think we need to get back to the storm. I mean, for real. I don't know if you guys saw this week, but on YouTube, there was this picture, this uh, video of this naked man running through the streets of Cincinnati. It was, he was pushing things over and jumping on cars. It was quite a scene, I could imagine. And, and I think about this, and I think, man, how crazy must have this been? Luke tells us who he, who he is. If You wonder what's wrong with this guy, but the text says he has a, a demon. In fact, not just one, he has many. Because when he had come to Jesus, he was screaming and yelling. And, and, and the Bible says that, that, that uh, they were yelling out to Jesus. And here's what they said. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting to the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. Now, wait a minute. Why would a man think Jesus would torture him? Well, read on. Verse 29. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places see, it was the demons that were animating this guy. And this is one of the most bizarre pictures in Scripture. Reminds you of like a horror film, you know. This guy's head's about to spin and stuff is going to come out, you know. And, And it's just a weird scene which leads to an obvious question. Is there demon possession today? Does it still exist? It was clear it existed in Jesus' day. And some people suppose it doesn't exist today, that Jesus' victory over death on the cross and broke Satan's ability to influence mankind to that level. That could be. Or it could be that it does exist today. We simply don't hear of it as much. I'm I'm not sure if I've seen it before, um, but I, I certainly am open to the possibility. I, I have had missionary friends in countries that are totally pagan, that testify of witnessing people like this man, people who have been involved in also in worshiping in the occult or voodoo or calling out the powers of the dark world that can become possessed with an evil spirit. And, uh, and then I've, I've, I've led fourth and fifth and sixth grade kids before, you know, so I'm never sure about that, you know. Like I heard about the one rebellious fifth grade boy grabbed by his teacher and the teacher just shook him until his teeth rattled. And the teacher said, I believe the devil's got a hold of you, boy. I believe the devil's got a hold of you. And the little boy was so scared he said, I think he does too. I think he does too. So we, we talk about, you know, the devil getting a hold of somebody, but this is totally different. This is, I mean, this is like this guy's demon-possessed. In verse 30, said, Jesus asked him, what's your name? Legion, he replied, because the many th- there we are many, and many demons had gone into him. Now, the word legion means platoon, platoon or troop, and I don't know what this guy's name is, but the demons say their name is Legion, and he is filled with evil. And Jesus says, come out of him. And the demons say, and they beg him repeatedly, do not order us into the abyss. Now, the abyss is referred to several times in Scripture. In Revelation, it's a place where the devil is cast. In the Old Testament, it refers to the depths, a place of the depths of the sea where the sins are thrown. And the demons are saying, don't throw us into the abyss. Oh, and by the way, that should be a warning to all of us. If even the demons didn't want to go to hell, we certainly shouldn't want to, you know. Some people think, well, I, I'll, I'll, uh, it's not going to be that bad, right? I mean, really, how bad could it be? I mean, all the fun people go to hell, right? I mean, let's, no. Read what the scripture says about the abyss. Read what the scripture says about hell. In a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, even the demons themselves said, find a different spot for us. Verse 32 says, A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, Let us go into them. And he gave them permission. And the scripture says that a large group of pigs was feeding, and about, uh, I mean, maybe hundreds, we don't know. And they are now cast into those pigs, and suddenly, the, the, when they go into the pigs, the herd rushes down the steep bank and into the lake, and they were drowned. Quite a scene. Can you imagine? Scripture says, those who were tending the pigs, those who were watching the pigs and watching all this happen, they saw what happened. They ran off. They reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And the word began to spread Did you see that? That guy's better. The pigs are gone. No more bacon for. Well, anyway. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out. Listen to this, friends. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, he was dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They saw this man with his clothes on, he was talking normally, he was interacting with others, and I love what the scripture says, he was dressed in his right mind, and he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Let that picture sink in. The transformation that this individual went through, from being possessed by demons, to being crazy, to being naked, to being chained, all of this, To now, being clothed in his right mind and sitting at the feet of Jesus. Just stop right there. I mean, isn't that where we all want to be? I mean, in our right mind, just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And This is principle two. One thing I've learned in my life is that Jesus meets us at our point of greatest need. I mean, can you imagine this man? Can you imagine his relief? He'd been tormented. His family was completely separated from him. He was completely isolated. Now he's at peace. And friends, what I want to say to all of us who have our own figurative demons in our past that haunt us, to all of us who have skeletons in our closet, to all of us who have baggage, isn't that where we want to be? God's at, our, at his best when we're at our worst. God's meet, God meets us at our point of greatest need. He saves this man. He saves us too. He saves us from darkness, He saves us from evil, He saves us from sin and the penalty of sin, and He transforms us into His great likeness. So when you accept Christ as your Savior, you confess Him as Lord, you're baptized into His name, there is this inner transformation that takes place. You might still battle those evil desires, those inner desires that wage war went against your soul, the Bible says, but to as many has received Him... To him, he gave the power to become the sons and the daughters of God. It is Christ's power that we often underestimate that gives us the power to to ward off and fight against that temptation and stand up for the cause of Christ. Jesus meets us at our point of greatest need. Craig Massey once wrote, Two natures beat within my breast. The one is foul, the one is blessed. The one I love, the one I hate. The one I feed will dominate. Evil fed by this world gets worse and worse until you are enslaved, but created in the image of God. Reborn by the Holy Spirit of God, led by the Word of God, we can grow more and more to be like Jesus Christ. The all-powerful, undefeated, undisputed champion of love. Hugh Martin, in the parables of the Gospels, tells the story of a rough, uncultured man who was really fascinated with this beautiful, expensive vase in a shop window, and he bought the vase. He brought it home. When he got it home, uh, he looked around at his surroundings. That vase was so nice, but his house was an absolute mess. He thought, well, I've got to clean this stuff up. And when he did, he, he, he cleaned up the room to make it worthy of the vase. And when he looked at that, then he looked at the curtains. He said, oh, those curtains are so dingy. i got to get new curtains. And so he, he got on some new curtains. And then he looked around, and now the chair that he usually sits on, has stuffing coming out, and it didn't look so good, so he bought a new chair. And then he looked around and said, wow, the curtains look pretty good, and the chair looks pretty good, and the room looks clean, but, man, the paint, oh, I need some fresh paint now. And pretty soon the whole room was transformed. And friends, when you put Jesus Christ in the mantle of your heart, he will begin to gradually transform the most evil parts of your life and heart. But you have to start with him. He will meet you in your point of greatest need. He will be with you in the storms. And then he begins to transform you from the inside out. Years ago, Estelle Taylor told a story of how he was a young child. It was Christmas one year, and uh, he got a gift of roller skates, and he didn't really know how to do it. And so he was trying to roll through the house, and that was back in a time when Holmes would have had wood-burning stoves in the kitchen area. And like most kids, he wasn't very good on his skates. And so he started to roll and had a hard time turning, had a difficult time stopping. And one time he went rolling across the kitchen area, and it was quite evident by the way his hands were moving that he wasn't going to stop. And he was heading right for that wood-burning stove and, uh, where they were cooking dinner. His face was about to be seared by the stove. But at the last second, his father stuck out his hand and stopped his son's face. And the velocity of the boy on roller skates pushed the father's hand against the stove, and he said you could smell burning flesh throughout the room. Instead of the boy's face being scarred for life, his father's hand was scarred for life. Estel Taylor said that all of his friends thought that his dad had a hideous hand, but to him it was the hand of love and protection. Years later, his father passed away. The undertaker had taken his father's good hand and placed it over the scarred hand in an effort to try to hide the scar. Estel said, "Mm -mm, you need to switch that. You need to reverse it. And so he put his bad hand, his scarred hand, on top of his good hand. He said he wanted everybody who passed the casket to see the hand that saved his life. Friends, listen. Someday you will get to see the hand that saved you. It will be the hand of the all-powerful Jesus, and it too will be scarred. Nails have a way of doing that. There comes a point in everybody's life when you have to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have an everlasting Father who provides protection and peace, compassion and care, who walks with you in the storm and who meets you in your point of greatest need. Jesus is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. I want to close with one line from a follow-up story in Luke chapter 8. And if you have time, read this final section of Luke chapter 8 where Jesus uh, brings uh, a woman healing who touches his garment, a woman who had dealt with a medical condition for 12 years. And then the very follow-up story where Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. And I want you to read that, because this 12-year-old girl who had died, and her dad came begging Jesus, please heal her. When Jesus healed her, this is what it says, he took her by the hand, and he said, child, my child, get up. And her spirit returned. There is something powerful about the touch of Jesus. Many of you. You need a touch from Jesus today. Like this girl, you need your spirit to return. You you need to know that you are loved in the face of a storm. You need to know that there is a God that meets you at the point of your greatest need today. Here's what I'm going to do for just about 60 seconds. If you guys could just bring those house lights kind of down. I want Sherry just to play. And I want you guys to just kind of think. And pray and appreciate the fact that God loves you. Just thank Him. Be honest with Him. I don't know why, but yesterday I had in mind a little tune. Um, the worship team accuses me sometimes, if we're in a worship planning, uh, of being back in the 90s. The songs I know are more back from them. Um, but uh, I want to teach you a little chorus today, all right? So it'll be acapella. And
1: uh, it, goes, it goes like this, all right? Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Yes I do. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Yes I do in the storms of life. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Yes, I do at the point of greatest need. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Yes, I do. Come on now, church. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Oh yes I do one more time. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you.